Recently, I had a lot of difficulty with um, uh, activist groups uh, pressuring uh, major advertisers to stop spending money on Twitter. Um, this is despite us doing everything possible to appease them um, and to make it clear that moderation rules and hateful conduct rules have not changed uh, and we're continuing to enforce them. Um, this is tech billionaire Elon Musk talking at an event in New York following his $44 billion takeover of the social media platform Twitter. During the conference, he tried to assuage fears about rising levels of hate speech, but also swung the other way, complaining that those who are concerned about rising levels of hate speech are in fact seeking to quell free speech. And, um but nonetheless, the activist groups have been successful in, in, in causing a massive drop in Twitter advertising revenue. And we've done our absolute best to appease them, and nothing is working. So this is a major concern, and I think this is, frankly, an attack on the First Amendment. Um, like, if, if activist groups can pressure uh, advertisers upon which Twitter is fundamentally dependent um, to you know, suppress free speech, then that doesn't seem right. Since his takeover, dramatic staffing changes have set alarms ringing. Human rights defenders and those seeking to stop hate speech have warned that the platform, with 206 million daily users, will become a hub for attacks against minorities. What's driving Elon Musk's decisions at Twitter? How can minorities and human rights defenders be protected? And how will the ownership change affect the platform's decisions going forward? My name is Hugo Goodridge. Welcome to the New Arab Voice. Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter began in January 2022, when he started buying up shares. By April 4th, he was the social network's largest shareholder. And less than two weeks later, he made an offer to buy the company outright. In the weeks and months that followed, tweets, accusations, lawsuits, online harassment, reversals and re-reversals abounded. Until on October 27th, the deal was completed, and Elon Musk became the sole owner of Twitter. In his Twitter bio, he called himself the Chief Twit, and declared in a tweet that the bird is free. The Chief Twit's changes to the company started almost immediately. I think the most worrying change really has been the, the massive cuts to the content moderation and human rights teams that have been made. This is Alia al Ghussein, a campaigner at Amnesty International working on big tech and human rights. Although the exact numbers are not clear, it is believed that around half of the 7,500 people that worked at Twitter prior to his takeover had their employment terminated or walked away from their jobs. Among the employees that were fired were members of the content moderation team, which was responsible for identifying and preventing hate speech. The content moderation team at Twitter are one part of the platform's attempt to prevent hate speech and harassment. But there are other ways and means. 
So theoretically, there were three systems in place to deal with hate speech on the platform. This is Imran Ahmed, the CEO of the Centre for Countering Digital Hate. The first was algorithmic detection of hate speech, looking for patterns in words, identifying them and removing those tweets before they even reached the platform, so before they were published by Twitter on their platform. The second way was proactive work done by their trust and safety teams to identify bad actors to intervene there. And the third way was that they have a reporting system so that people can report hate that will be assessed against the rules of the platform, the community standards, which are published on the website, and they will take enforcement action. Using technology, using a human team of monitors, and allowing the platform's users to proactively report hate. All good ideas, but there was a fundamental flaw. The truth is, the system never really worked. It was there as a fig leaf, like a sort of a, a fake fire alarm that isn't connected to an actual alarm or to the emergency services on their site. And in our studies, we showed that even if you report racist abuse against Muslims, for example, 94% of the time, no action is taken. In our most, you know, in our most recent report, which is post Musk, it's now 99% is left up, even when we do the hard work of reporting it to them. So really, Twitter hasn't been fit for purpose for a while. And now it's just broken. A broken system that has now been gutted. I think it's important to kind of highlight that Twitter does have existing guidelines which bans hateful content. In its guidelines regarding hateful content, Twitter says, quote, you may not promote violence against, threaten or harass other people on the basis of race, religion, national origin, caste, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, religious affiliation, age, disability or serious disease. But the question is, at this point, what capacity the platform has to meet its human rights obligations generally with you know, these huge cuts to its content moderation and human rights teams, which have happened under Elon Musk. We have consistently highlighted Twitter's failings to address abusive content. That was a problem before Elon Musk took over. And again, the subsequent cuts will obviously make that much harder. And the other thing that I think is important to mention is that the fact that the decision has been made to kind of slash these content moderation teams also means that the platform's algorithms which decide you know what what we see those algorithms disproportionately amplify the most extreme content and without the content moderation teams in place it means those algorithms are free to really kind of run riot for those of you not on twitter and even for those of you who are on twitter but don't know how the site runs algorithms are the technological beating heart of the site imran explains one of the interesting features of social media platforms is that the most controversial content gets pushed to the top of your newsfeed. You don't actually see a timeline. What you see is that a list of content ordered by how much engagement, so how much people responding to it, reacting to it, it's created. And quite often, hate speech creates more of a reaction, not surprisingly, than tolerant speech. Because, you know, people, if they're angry, if if they think it's disgusting, if they think it's right, they start talking about it, it becomes a subject of conversation in itself. And so what we see is that, in fact, you've got both individuals, of course you have organised groups like neo-Nazi groups and white supremacist groups, 
Um, and you also have the algorithm itself driving up that content. So the way the platform works to, dra- to, to, to grab our attention, to keep us arguing on that platform in a state of heightened emotion. If an individual or an organization posts hate speech, it can be spread by people who agree with the hateful sentiment of the message. Equally, it is also spread by people who are opposed to the message. Twitter's algorithm does not differentiate between support and opposition. It only judges engagement, regardless of the intent behind the engagement. The more engagement a post gets, the more it spreads. The more it spreads, the greater engagement, and so on and so on. So if calling out hate speech on the platform only spreads it further, what can be done? Actually, because platforms are driven by engagement, what you have to do when you see hate is ignore it, block the person sending it so they can't they can't get to you anymore, take a little bit of a break and then report it. Now, what we found since then in the sort of years since we started as an organization is that reporting it is less than useless. So, you know, the mathematics are still the same. If you engage with hate content, whether that is to say this is disgusting or to say I agree, you actually give it a boost. That is one of the sort of the most pernicious aspects of social media platforms is that they enrage you. And then when you're enraged, they use that fact, that mathematical fact, to drive it to more people. If the Twitter algorithm, which drives the spread of extreme content, is a flaw, then so too is the Twitter business model itself. Yes, it's a social media platform, but it's not a charity. Twitter is a business. It lives to make money. Alia Alguseng. It's really important for us to understand, as people interested in these issues, as people who use the platform, but also, you know, the international community, that the business model of these big tech companies is toxic. It allows for the worst aspects of, of human nature to be played upon and to be drawn out. And I think that although the Elon Musk takeover has, of course, changed things at Twitter, it's really important to understand that these issues are fundamental issues which were present even before the takeover. And I think that there is a need to kind of rein in that business model. And I think although... Unfortunately, there is little incentive for this business model to change. It works as it was intended and, as a result, makes piles of cash. The vast majority of this comes from advertisers buying space. In 2021, 92% of the earnings came from advertisers, with the rest coming from licensing data and other services. During that year, the social media company pulled in around $5 billion dollars but when the year closed, the company had lost $221 million. A lot of money, but an improvement on the previous year when it posted losses of $1.1 billion. Since he took over, Musk has suggested that the company will go bankrupt and is currently losing $4 million a day. His recent scheme to charge users $8 for blue check marks, indicating that they are verified, was driven by the need to inject money. It's too early to tell if that will have any meaningful impact on the bank statements of the company. In the meantime, the platform needs a growing user base. And content and personalities that cause outrage can help drive this growth. One obvious benefit to basing your model on creating outrage and offence is that there is very little stopping you. 
the, the, the curious economics of running a social media platform based in the United States are that if you have hate speech on your platform, thanks to a quirk of law passed in 1996 in the United States, something called Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, in fact, internet sites are not liable for third party content on their website at all. And that is a unique barrier from negligence. So they, you cannot take action against them uh, legally for any of the content on there that they didn't write themselves. The problem is that when you have these enormous business models based on aggregating other people's content, placing ads on it and making tons of money, you then have something which is publishing to billions of people as Facebook is, for example, or hundreds of millions of people as Twitter is, and you have no way of taking action. And in fact, if they take enforcement action, they reduce the amount of content, which means that they reduce the amount of monetizable content they have, space in which they can place ads, and they also have to take an action. And taking an action is costly because someone has to assess it, someone has to think about it, and someone has to take an action. So social media companies have an economic disincentive to investing into moderation because the truth is that it imposes a cost on them, and the cost of doing nothing, well, they have zero liability. And that really explains why social media has become so toxic because actually the economics incentivize them to leave it that way. Since Musk took control at the end of October, there have been genuine fears that Twitter will become a cesspit of hate speech, abuse and harassment. Recent studies, like those done by Imran and his team at the Centre for Countering Digital Hate, have confirmed these fears. But this sort of online abuse hasn't simply appeared, it's grown. Twitter has always had this sort of extreme content. One notable change in this new Musk era is his personal philosophy that has been almost retroactively bolted on to the Twitter business model. Elon Musk views himself as a free speech absolutist, a stance that has worrying implications. The right to free speech or to free expression is it's a really important one. At the same time, it's not an absolute right. There are restrictions which can be placed on that right, which prevent the advocacy of national, racial, religious hatred, because that constitutes incitement to discrimination, hostility and violence. And I think there really needs to be checks and balances on this to ensure that everybody can enjoy their human rights in the digital kind of public square, as it were. Freedom of speech does not equal freedom to reach. So everyone has the right to hold uh, thoughts and to speak them. But the right to have them published and broadcast, well, that requires other parties to agree to do so as well. And Twitter is a private platform. It can make decisions for itself. In fact, the courts have repeatedly upheld that the First Amendment right is not held by posters on social media platforms, but by the social media platform itself to decide what goes on its website. So that's where the courts are in, in interpreting the First Amendment of the Constitution, the, the right to free speech. The second thing is that freedom of speech has always had some limitations in there. So, for example, you can't go into a theatre and shout fire. You can't, there are, there's copyright. There are various different types of, of, of exclusions to freedom of speech. However, despite all his free speech absolutist rhetoric, they certainly appear to stumble during his first couple of weeks in control. 
Elon Musk was never really committed to freedom of speech. We saw that on day one when he came in there, saw people impersonating him and his companies and other companies who were advertisers on there, more importantly. And he panicked. And he said, oh, my God, no, that's not freedom of speech. Satire is in freedom of speech. He's actually a very thin skinned man. The freedom of speech he wants is for himself. And what he really wants is not freedom to speak. He wants freedom from consequences. And people should face consequences for malignant speech. Those that are appalled by the hate speech directed at minorities and human rights defenders are searching for ways to ensure that there are consequences. It's really only through, you know, kind of meaningful regulation of that sector that we can keep people safe. And I think a good example of that is something which has come from the European Union in the last year, which is the Digital Services Act, which kind of tries to mitigate some of the harms that the business model of the platforms has put out there. It's one of those things, it's a very big question. There's probably not a really easy answer to every element of it, but that is a really key piece of what the international community can do. The European Union is seeking to tackle the problem through legislation with the Digital Services Act. The Act was officially approved at the start of October. And while much of the new Act relates to e-commerce, it also deals with issues such as hate speech. While the new law won't be used to actively monitor hate speech on site and call out users spreading hate, it could be used to force platforms to undertake competent moderation policies, with hefty fines handed out to those who do not comply or fail to implement their own rules. The UK is following a similar path with the online safety bill, and in the US, Congress and the Federal Trade Commission are watching the company with increasing intensity. So I think that what we need to see over time is is legislation coming in so that these companies do enforce their own rules. Because those rules, don't forget, they're not just our responsibilities as users to abide by them. They're also, if there are responsibilities, they are a reciprocal right as well, that we should expect others to have to behave that way with the platform acting as a neutral arbiter to ensure that the rules are enforced. And we don't have that at the moment. So actually, the freedom of speech for racists means that these spaces are hostile environments for non-white people. Since Musk took control, hate speech has risen. His philosophy of free speech absolutism sadly means that more people with objectionably racist, bigoted and homophobic views will be attracted to the site. And the cuts to content moderation will mean that the hate that they do spread will remain on the site for longer, if not indefinitely. So why bother with Twitter at all? Is it even worth the fight? Social media platform, but I think what is very clear is that it has been a vital space for activists and so it's really important that they are kind of able to use the platform in a way which feels safe and it's been a really important tool for people to to reach out like also I'm just thinking about a lot of the coverage of Allah during COP27 that came out through Twitter and so I think it's really important that activists can continue to use the platform I really feel that the onus shouldn't be on individuals to try and make themselves safe on the platform. I think that's really difficult and and it's it's not really on them because actually Twitter has 
a responsibility to uphold human rights and that should be the guiding force that is really making people safe on the platform i think that if twitter's not doing that then it's very difficult for people you know whatever mitigation measures they are able to take to to be completely safe and that's something that is a part of i guess the social media age that we have to always be really kind of cognizant of the the risks of these things in recent years twitter has become a vital tool for human rights activists and defenders with such a global reach activists can alert the world to abuses and crimes almost as they happen events like the recent protests in iran israeli abuses in palestine or even as alia mentioned the cases of political prisoners like ala abdul fatah in egypt have all benefited from twitter in the past the platform is a quick and easy alarm bell to ring as well as being a documentation tool but a failure to protect human rights defenders from those who seek to silence them could put an end to this you know if content which constitutes discrimination or hostility or is inciting violence is aimed at you know human rights defenders or people from minority communities marginalized communities the impact on them is that they then might stop speaking out or feeling able to talk about the situation in their country or just even their personal experiences and so i think with this idea of free speech absolutism it's really it makes me wonder who's speech where we're talking about the proliferation of hate or content which is inciting violence will obviously be silencing to some people and the people who it's aimed at Shortly after Elon Musk took over Twitter, the company's head of trust and safety said in a tweet that they had managed to clamp down on hate speech. The following day, he resigned. If Musk continues with his plans for free speech absolutism and to bring back those previously blocked for hateful content, then it seems likely that hateful content will rise. What can be hoped for is that in the future users might be better prepared. What I hope is that this kind of serves as a a bit of a message to people that these platforms are so important that they need to be places where people can exercise their human rights and that these companies do really need to take their obligations to uphold or rather their responsibilities to uphold human rights really seriously because the fact that you know if twitter implodes it will have a really negative impact on lots of people shows how how important it is and how we really need safeguards in place to ensure that regardless of you know changes of ownership people can continue to use the platform to do really important work like the documentation of human rights abuses and you know activism around that as well for imran and his team they are calling on people to use this moment we cannot trust social media platforms which have a global impact 4.5 billion people around the world use social media and currently they all sign up to to abiding by rules those rules are not enforced the the results of those rules not being enforced is considerable human harm as we saw on january the 6th as we saw with hundreds of thousands dying of disinformation during the pandemic as we saw with the rise in racism and religious hatred 
And we really need to get to grips with that because the results of us not getting to grips with it at a societal level, at a global level, are that the progress that we've made over the over recent decades will be undone and undone fast if the new normal becomes hate. This episode of the New Arab Voice was written and produced by me, Hugo Goodrich. Our theme music was by Omar L. Phil. The New Arab Voice will be back next week. Until then, you can find all our previous episodes on all major podcast platforms. You can also check out our Instagram page and our Twitter account, both at the New Arab Voice, for additional content. You can subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode, and you can also rate and review, which helps us spread the word. Don't forget to follow The New Arab on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for all the latest news from the region. (laughs) 